0: I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for this opportunity to grow in holiness and to learn our faith a little bit more. Bishop Sheen had a great love for the soldier and, of course, was very uh, dedicated to helping soldiers with uh, their prayer lives. And I think of that great little booklet, The Wartime Prayer Book, that uh, many of you may have in your own possession I know that hundreds of thousands of these copies of these books have been given to the military all over the world, and so uh, a great little devotional. And so today on this program, Bishop Shane will uh, give a reflection entitled, The Glory of the Soldier. And, uh, of course, uh, lots of powerful insights in that program. And then we'll follow that up with a catechism lesson, Uh, from the Catechism series that Bishop Sheen developed many years ago. And uh, the lesson today is entitled, The Law of Love, The Total Commitment. And um, we need to give a total commitment to Christ, uh, because He is our all. And I cannot uh, thank God enough for giving us the gift of His Mother uh, at the foot of the cross to the world, when He said to uh, St. John, Woman, behold your Son, Son, behold your mother. At that moment, we became children of Mary. And so, as children of Mary, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please enjoy this reflection entitled, The Glory of the Soldier.
1: Friends, we received many letters this week wanting to know what happened to that dead horse in the bathroom and how we got rid of it. Well, it was very simple to get rid of it. We just took the plug out of the bathtub. As we announced last week, our subject tonight is the glory of the soldier. And under soldier, of course, we include everyone in the Marines, the foot soldiers, those who fight in the air, sailors, everyone, men and women, who are engaged in the armed forces. Just before the show, we were giving out the second series of our telecast. As you know, we do not have them written out beforehand, so we take them down. After the telecast finished, we take them down to the kinescope, and uh, someone noticed in the crew tonight that the little angel is very favorable to the sailors. I just noticed tonight, if you notice that the, uh, the little angel here is wearing a sailor hat. The difference, as you see, between my angel, he loves all the armed forces. Between my angel and the sailor is that the sailor, whenever he sees a schooner, such as is in this picture, he drinks it, and my angel just dances when he sees one. There are all kinds of stories, as you know, told about the sailors and the Marines and the men in the Air Force. For example, I suppose the sailors have constantly been maligned by saying they have a girl in every port. Now, that is not true, because they haven't been in every port. Have been to Davenport. <laughs> the soldier has had a great and varied history, and the origin of the word is interesting. When the soldiers became mercenary and sold themselves out to the highest bidder in the 15th or 16th century, they were given their pay, and in French it was sold, and hence the name in French became sold from which we derive the word soldier. There's a world of difference between the soldier, of course, of the free world, our democracy, and the soldier of the Soviet world. You're looking at my angel because he cleaned the board? (laughs) The soldier of the slave world, that is to say of the communist world, is necessarily bent on offense. Because the whole communist philosophy is dedicated to world revolution. Once you are men of that particular uh, type of civilization, you necessarily make them offensive soldiers. Because one thing you can't do with bayonets is sit on them. So the communists send them conquering throughout the world. Soldiers of a democratic country are quite different. Soldiers in a democracy come into being very much like locks might come into a village. Here's a thousand homes in a village. Every man is friendly with his neighbor, there are no locks on windows, no bars on doors. Everyone is free to come and go in any house in the neighborhood. One night a thief breaks in, the next morning a thousand locks have to be purchased. Now, it happens with the steep thief in the world. That's the reason democracies have to arm. The greatest tribute that can be paid to soldiers is to recall that they are always spoken of well in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, great soldiers are praised like Joshua, David, and Gideon. In the New Testament, Whenever an individual is mentioned, it's always in terms of praise. And I believe the reason is that when a civilization like the Roman began to rot, the putrefaction starts at the center. Which means that off at the periphery, in the military, in the armed forces, there are still those remnants of respect for law, decency and order, which preserve civilization. And that is why the soldiers that are found in the outposts of the Roman Empire in gospel times are men to be praised. And two great characteristic notes of soldiers are found in the gospels found throughout history. The first note of the great soldier is sympathy. And the second is a spirit of sacrifice. First of all sympathy. One soldier does not make an army any more than one swallow makes a summer. He's committed to live in community, and so he develops the spirit of friendliness with his fellow man. Then in addition to that, he has to travel very often to other lands. And these great floods of humanitarianism wipe away all the barriers and obstructions of race and of nation, and of color and of class and he begins to understand what Alexander the Great told his soldiers in Persia that God is the common father of all men the soldier begins to see as he goes into other lands that all people are one and all made of one blood this sympathy begets the humility in the soldier when a man is alone he can be proud of himself when he's with others he's much more humble the fly on the nose of the cameraman looks very large. In the theater, it looks small. And the man is, is alone, and by himself he can be an egotist. But when he's in an army and in another world, he becomes very humble. And that explains the sympathy and the humility of these soldiers. One of them that was mentioned in the gospel, the centurion of Kapar. See how sympathetic he was. And how sympathetic he had to be to win the reputation that he enjoyed. After all, he belonged to this great power of Rome that was sending its eagles throughout the world. He comes into a conquered people. Naturally, he was unpopular. He should have been. Or the Romans were in the land of the Jews, very much like the Soviets are in China or in Poland. And yet, he was kindly and sympathetic and one day he came to our Lord and said that his servant was sick. The servant of that Roman soldier was probably a slave. Caesar once complained that he wept at the death of a servant. But this man is interested in the life of his servant. And he comes to our Lord and asks that the servant be healed. And the Jewish elders were struck by the sympathy and kindness of the man, went to our Lord and they gave two arguments why he should be helped. Imagine two arguments in favor of this Roman soldier. The first was, he loves our race. How gentle he had to be to win that appellation. And secondly, he built for us a synagogue he was humble too. Oh, so very humble. Because he said to our Lord, I do not want you to enter under my roof. You need not come to my house. I have men under me, because I am a man of authority. I say to one, go, and he goeth. Come, and he cometh. To another, do this, and he doth it. Therefore he suggested to our Lord that merely the words ...of his omnipotent lip would be enough to cure the servant. And the servant was cured at that hour. The soldier was kind and sympathetic. And these days... ...when those who follow the Savior reach the moment of most intimate union with him... ...they're wells up at the moment of communion on the lips of a devout Christian, the words of a soldier, Lord, I am not worthy. This sympathy we find in our American soldiers throughout the world. We know what they are doing in mission lands, for example, the aid they are giving to our leprosaria, to our hospitals, to our homes for the aged, how they are helping the orphans, and the refugees throughout the world not only our own soldiers let me tell you this story about a communist soldier one of our missionary sisters was telling me just the other day when she was in prison in China for a couple of years she contracted malaria the communists refused to give her any water and her throat was like a blazing fire she said to the communist soldier nearby I'm dying he said good we will not have to feed you All we have to do is bury her. He said, Give me some tea. He was making a pot of tea in the prison. The communist soldier said, Why should I give you tea? You're an enemy. And then his mouth became a crater of hate and a volcano of blasphemy. And as he cursed her and accused her of being a spy and an agent of an imperialist power amidst all of his cursing and blasphemies, he moved over to this dying sister and poured some tea into her tin cup to save her life. But he was saved. He poured it to the party and demoted The point that I want to bring out is that the natural sympathy of a soldier overcame the hardness even of communist philosophy, and he broke the bonds of all dialectical materialism to prove that a soldier is a man of sympathy and love. Then humility. Would you like to see a letter I got from a soldier the other day that indicates humility. He passed me by on the street, failed to see me, and he wrote this letter. The soldier says, Dear Bishop Sheen, last evening at the Alfred Smith dinner, I was told that while I was passing through the streets of New York yesterday, you stopped at a street corner to greet me. I regret I failed to see you, but I do assure you that I am more than complimented by your friendly thoughtfulness. I would have valued the opportunity to have stopped my car, however briefly, to chat for a moment with personal regard. Would you like to know the name of the soldier? Dwight D. Eisenhower. to the president and I said in America when the president passes a friend on the street and through no fault of his own fails to recognize him he sends a letter of greeting that is democracy in Russia when the dictator passes a friend on the street without recognizing him that means he's marked for liquidation that is communism the second quality of the soldier is sacrifice sacrifice in times of peace because he has to leave his home his loved ones because he has to go through the long routine of preparation and in addition to that when there was no excitement for battle no spur to action he still has to go through the indelicacies of barracks life and then in time of war, the soldier is a man of sacrifice because on the battlefield he does not live for himself. He does not die for himself. He lives and he dies for others. His life is characterized by a beautiful vicariousness. A surrender of self for others. We find this in the great soldier, too, that is mentioned in the gospel. Here's a, a centurion he had charge of a hundred soldiers one sixtieth of a Roman legion the Roman legion amounting to six thousand men he was sent out this particular day to execute a batch of criminals he had done it a hundred times before it was the old Roman method of putting men to death he knew all about it he went through with it was struck a bit for the fact that One who was crucified, as soon as the nails hit his hand, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then he noticed, too, that death did not seem to come to him, that he went out to meet it. And he died, speaking in a loud voice, as if he were giving up his own life, which he did, saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The change came over that particular soldier. He was seeing. Now, not the circumstances of death. As men are generally interested today in the circumstances of death, as they follow murder mysteries and read detective stories. But this soldier became for the moment tremendously interested in the significance of death. And all that it implied. He began to see that here was someone who was giving his life for another. And then this soldier made a public affirmation of his faith. They said, indeed, this was the Son of God. He was the first to say, there are no atheists in foxhole And the spirit of sacrifice has passed over into the lives of our soldiers, we know hundred stories we could tell you of men who risked their own lives and some even have died just to save the one that they call a buddy. And you remember Joyce Kilmer, one of the great soldiers of World War I, how he translated everything that happened to him in war into the scene which this Roman soldier saw on the hill of Calvary he would first of all complain about his army life and then he would think of that great soldier his vicarious death he gave himself for the world he said my shoulders ache beneath my pack I ease across." I march with feet that burn and smart, red holy feet on my heart. I dare not lift a hand to clear my eyes of salty tears that sear. And shall my fickle soul forget my agony of bloody sweat. My rifle hand is sick and numb from thy fierce palm. Red River's gun. Lord, thou hast suffered more for me than all the hosts of land and sea. Then let me render back again the million for thy gift. Of a soldier sacrificed himself for his country. Why not then recognize their great value? We wonder why is it that in times of war we praise the sacrifice? The self-forgetfulness, the self-abnegation, and the fearlessness of our soldiers on the battlefield, and then in time of peace, call such sacrifice and such discipline womanly virtues. Why do we do it? Why is it that in times of war, we commend the soldier for obedience to his orders, for his oath of fealty, for the fulfillment of his missions, for obedience to all of his commissions, and then in time of peace, have little respect for the same obedience, will not put it into our schools and into our homes and into our national life with the result that we pay the terrible penalty of juvenile delinquency. Why is it that in time of war we tell our soldiers that they must be ready if need be to give their lives for the preservation of the liberty of our country And then in time of peace, we say it is asking too much of any man to give an answer to the question, Are you a loyal American? Are you a communist? There are no fifth amendments on battlefields behind which our soldiers may protect their lives. Shall we therefore be ashamed in peace of oh, what we are so proud in war? Rather let us put on the breastplate of justice, the shield of faith, carrying the sword of the Spirit, marching with courage under the great God who is the Lord of hosts and under the protection of a woman who is as invincible as as an army drawn up in battle array. Then we shall preserve our country, our traditions, our soldiers, and our America.
0: Our sincere thanks to the Fulton J. Sheen Company, who has given us permission to share these broadcasts with you today. I invite you to make Bishop Sheen a part of your family audio and video collection you can call them toll-free at 1-866-357-4336 or visit the official website for purchasing Catholic family videos and DVDs of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's recordings from the Catholic television series, Life is Worth Living. The web address is www.bishopsheen.com you will find rare collections of Catholic family video recordings addressing a variety of topics such as morality, Mary the Mother of God, angels, Catholic Holy Days, and other faith-based subjects. So call toll-free today, 1-866-357-4336. Again, one 866 357 4336, and on the web, www.bishopsheen.com. And on behalf of Bishop Sheen, God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me uh, for this opportunity to uh, learn our faith together and to uh, be uh, blessed by the words of wisdom from uh, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. We think of our soldiers who serve us uh, day in and day out, and I think of that beautiful little prayer book that uh, Bishop Sheen put together many years ago. Uh, Many of you may know it as the Wartime Prayer Book, and uh, again, something small and light, but uh, it uh, punches, uh, <laughs> let's just say it's, uh, it's full of good, uh, good uh, fighting material, uh, fighting against the devil, uh, the spiritual uh, war that we're in with the devil and Satan. And uh, he wants our souls, but uh, the Lord uh, wants our souls even more. And of course, uh, died on the cross for us. Uh, But this little wartime prayer book, uh, many of you can find it on the internet Uh, Sophia Institute Press. Uh, published it a number of years ago, and there's been hundreds of thousands uh, of copies given to soldiers all over the world, but uh, I have one in my, uh, my, I think I have three, actually. I have one in my truck, I have one, uh, of course, on my desk, and I have one uh, that is uh, floating around. It's my loner. Uh, but I do love to uh, pray uh, this uh, the prayers in that book uh, often through the day. So, uh, again, my tip of the day is to purchase the uh, wartime prayer book uh, from Fulton Sheen uh, from Sophia Institute Press. You'll be blessed, uh, and they're great to give as gifts to friends and family. And so uh, let us continue now uh, to um, uh, be taught the faith through this catechism series that Bishop Sheen developed many years ago. Uh, We're on lesson number 43, uh, and it's entitled The Law of Love Total Commitment. And so We need to give a total commitment to Christ and not a half measure, but a full uh, gift as he gave totally of himself. And so let us enjoy now the wit uh, of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Please enjoy.
1: Peace be to you. All that we have said up to this point can be summarized in the difference between law and love. Really, in the Christian way, we are not governed by law at all. We should be beyond it. We seek not just merely the keeping of the commandments, but we seek to be related to our blessed Lord. Is it hard? Is it possible? Remember one day a young man came to our blessed Lord and he asked what he must do to be saved. And our blessed Lord said that he must keep the commandments. And our Lord mentioned about five or six of the commandments, such as not stealing, not committing adultery and the like. And the young man said, I have kept all these from my youth. Our blessed Lord then added, If you would be perfect, go sell all you have. Give to the poor, then come follow me. The young man left our Lord. He went away sad because he had great possessions. The apostles were troubled about this. After all, must everybody sell everything that he has to follow our Lord? So they said, Who then can be saved? And our Lord answered, That it is not possible with men alone, that is to say, by our own human power we cannot. But it is possible with God. All things are possible with God. We have his grace. Is Christianity hard, therefore? In a certain sense, it is hard. Hard from a worldly point of view. But it gives such inner peace and joy that those who obey the law of love of our blessed Lord find it very easy. Really, when we understand the full import of the law of our blessed Lord, we find it to be this. Our Lord is saying, give me all, all of you. I do not want just so much of your time, so many hours a day, so much of your money, so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment this natural self of yours. I've come to kill it. No half-measures are any good. I do not want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have this whole tree of the natural man cut down. I do not wish just to drill a tooth or crown it. If it's bad, I want it out. So he says... Give me your whole self. Is that a loss? No, because he said, I will give you a new self. I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. The trouble with us when we hear the law of our blessed Lord is that we are trying to remain what we are and at the same time to keep a reasonable amount of peace. We want to be what we call good. We want our heart and our mind to go one way. Maybe it's after money, maybe it's after pleasure, maybe it's after social prestige. And at the same time, we do want to behave honestly and chastely and to keep the commandments. Now that is exactly what our blessed Lord said that we were not to do. He said a thistle cannot produce a fig. And if I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change has to go deep, down below the surface. I have to be plowed up to be re-sown. That was why our Lord said, if you would be perfect, come follow me. Oh, and again, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He meant that we have to go in for full treatment. It is hard But the sort of hankering after it is a bit harder. Really, when we get down to rock bottom, what are we afraid of? We are afraid to give our finger to God. Because we fear that he may take our hand. So we have little secret gardens back in our heart that we tend. The fruit is not his. It's ours. We wall it off from him. Sometimes a petty sin or vice or selfishness, whatever it happens to be. We do not get the full joy of being a Christian. It's very hard for an egg, for example, to turn into a a bird But it would be much harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are just like eggs now. And we cannot go on being just what we call a good egg. If we insist upon being a good egg, we either become a good egg, a really good one, or a bad one. And what is a good egg? a good egg is an egg that hatches it can be readily seen that what our blessed lord insists upon is a kind of a death namely we have to renew in our own lives exactly what happened in his he is the pattern he repeatedly said to and only to nicodemus To us, if we are to live again, we have to perish to that old existence. If there is anybody who hopes that in Christ the real danger spots are rendered harmless, and that nothing else can happen to us, because after all, he is what we call a kind Savior, and who takes even hardened sinners back with no questions asked, Well, that person must first come to terms with the text that our blessed Lord said he would not subtract one jot or tittle from the severity of God's law. That he had come not to abolish the law, but to perfect it. In other words, grace is not cheap. Cost our Lord is life. Can you think of anything that is more costly than that for which a man must pay on a cross? So if we want peace, we have to pay that price without that death to the lower life. Not the death to our higher life, no. No. But without that death to our lower life, there is no peace. There's only fear. And we live just the kind of a half existence. Remember our blessed Lord said that he who wills to do the will of the Father in heaven will know whether the teaching is from God. By this he means one of the reasons there are agnostics and skeptics is because they're not keeping the law of God. We know his will. We will understand his doctrine. It could very well be that we have entirely too much insistence upon a knowledge of Christian doctrine and not enough insistence on the doing. Our blessed Lord never said that if you know my doctrine, you will do my will. But he did say, that if you do my will, you will know my doctrine. In other words, only he who does the will, who is in earnest about it, who stakes his life on it, will come to understand Christ and all that his redemption means. Our Lord is known really only to those who venture, not to the cowards, is he known. Now at first, our blessed Lord is always a disturber. When you are still living in the natural order, oh, he seems to irritate you. You're dealing with a God who seems to be leading you into a kind of a crucifixion. You are a nice, easygoing going worldling, and you have settled down comfortably into what you call your worldview. But if you are in earnest with Christ, you will have to give up that comfort not because you're supposed to be a nervous worrier, but simply because it is a false peace. The first advent, therefore, of Christ into our lives is actually that of one who upsets us. But then once we give ourselves to him, he becomes our defender. Before we have Christ, our heart accuses us. We are unhappy with half-pasion. Then after we give ourselves to our Lord and his law of love, then our heart is at peace and Christ becomes our defender. His attitude completely changes once we have changed ours. This is just another way of putting the difference between commandments and love. Commandments only restrain me. We see them as hurdles and obstacles in the way of life. Those who live by the commandments ask, how far can I go? What is the limit? How close can I get to the abyss without tumbling in? Is it a mortal sin? This is not the way of love. It's not the way of peace. It is the old Adam that is within me that talks this way about commands so when I merely obey commands I am never there as a whole person but perhaps at most only with a better half of myself and the other half remains in opposition that's the psychological state of everyone who obeys a command never the whole heart but when I love am a whole person for love is a movement of my whole self it's an overflowing limitless giving of oneself therefore it can never be commanded it can only happen up to this point we have said that The Christian doctrine of morality is a total commitment to Christ so that we put on his mind, we think his thoughts, we love what he loves, and we ask ourselves whenever we do anything, will this be pleasing to him? But there's another side to the love of God is the love of neighbor. The two laws go together. And the love of neighbor is not merely giving eggs to a neighbor when the neighbor wishes it. It is really being a sin bearer. What does that mean? well, Some years ago, I remember meeting a woman who was very much distressed because her son had been put into prison. I think it was the fourth arrest for crime, robbery, and murder. She was bitterly ashamed and broken-hearted. And then I asked myself, Why does she have all this shame? There came to me the words of the prophet Isaiah that had referred to our Lord. And I might say of her, she had borne his griefs, carried his sorrows, and the chastisement of his peace was upon her. And it would only be by her stripes that he would be healed. This good mother had very few sins in her life, certainly no serious sins. And yet love made her exceedingly sinful for his sake. So immediately the mystery cleared up the love which a woman can put out for her son and which makes her so entirely one with him that his sin is her sin. His disgrace is her disgrace. His shame is her shame. is the nearest thing that we can ever get on this earth to the love of God and to know what God really is. In our own turn, therefore, we have to see that all of our sins became his sins. Our disgrace was his disgrace. Our shame, his shame. And in his own body, He bare our sins upon the tree. This is what forgiveness costs. That's why we said grace is not easy. We are not, therefore, to think that we are pious when we begin living our individual holy lives apart from our neighbor and apart from the world and suffering humanity. That was the trouble with Simon the Pharisee. The sinful woman came into the house and poured out ointment upon the feet of our blessed Lord. Simon was scandalized. He didn't wanted no contact with anyone that was sinful. He was only concerned about keeping the law just for himself and maybe his own faults in inner peace. And our blessed Lord said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you understand her? Her sins are part of the sins of the world. And then he went on to say that he was taking on her sins. And the pouring of the ointment was a preparation for his crucifixion and his burial. She was forgiven much and forgiveness costs an awful lot. Forgiveness is love in action, and love means sin-bearing. Forgiveness can only be accomplished by sin-bearing, and sin-bearing means a cross. It means that to God, and it must mean that to us. That is why our blessed Lord said, If any man will be my disciple, let him take up his cross. And follow me. The meaning of the cross is love bearing the sin of the beloved because of oneness with him. We can know the sin bearer Christ only as we bear the sins of others. We are redeemed in order to be redeemers. And we are not saved until God makes us saviors. The Christian has to go with our Lord into the Garden of Gethsemane and must pass from there to Calvary, filling up in his body what is lacking to the sufferings of Christ for his body's sake, which is the church. We cannot, like Pilate, wash our hands and say, I'm innocent of the blood of the world and innocent of the sufferings of the world. If the church is a church indeed, it is a body of sin-bearing people. People who love with the love of God that is shed abroad in their hearts. They are a body of people who can forgive because they've been forgiven. Who've been loved. And therefore they can become lovers. Unless the church of Christ is by love so united with the whole of mankind that the sin of the world is the sin of the church. The disgrace of the world is the disgrace of the church. The shame of the world, the shame of the church, the poverty of the world, the poverty of the church, then it is no church at all. The church is not and never can be an end in itself. It is a means of salvation for the world, not just our own sanctification. We cannot save ourselves alone. We pray in the context of our Father, not my Father. Our daily bread, not my daily bread. The Church is the agent of salvation for mankind. It is not a refuge of peace. It is an army preparing for war. We seek security, but only in sacrifice. And this is the mark of the church and the hallmark of the cross itself. And if the sin of our modern slums and the degradation that they cause, if the sin of our overcrowded rotten houses and the ugliness and vice they bring, if the sin of unemployment with the damnation of body and soul that it means to men and women, if the sin of the heartless, thoughtless luxury at one end, standing out against the squalid and degrading poverty of Africa and Asia and Latin America the other, if the sin of commercial trickery and dishonesty and the wholesale defrauding of the poor, if the sin of prostitution and the murder of women and children by disease, and if the sin of war, the very sins which is but the bursting and the festering of all the filth that the others have bred in years of miscalled peace, if all of that is not laid upon the Church as a burden, and upon us as members of the Church, and if we do not feel it, we are not worthy members of the Church, we have missed our vocation. This is Christian morality, not just the keeping of the commandments. It's love, it's total commitment, and it's taking upon ourselves the sins of others. This is the new law. Love
0: God. Love your neighbor. God Hello, Radio Maria family. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen was a master communicator with an unforgettable voice and ability to communicate the message of Christianity to all peoples. He was a Catholic priest with a tremendous knowledge of Catholic theology. We've been blessed to share his recordings through the generosity of our good friends at FultonSheen.com. I would ask you to visit their website, to download hundreds of MP3 talks by the great Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Please visit them at www.fultonsheen.com and there you can enjoy the voice of the Master Preacher of Christ who touched the lives of millions worldwide with his warmth, wisdom, and humor. So please visit fultonsheen.com to start enjoying your own collection of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Recordings. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Well, my dear Radio Maria family, our hour has come to an end, and I hope you enjoyed these two reflections given today by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. I'd invite you to bring a friend along next time as we continue to learn our faith together. And so until that time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.